Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. If you are able, would you stand with us while we start some worship this morning? Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your
what he described in the book of Colossians about the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the church. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our dear Lord, when we read the Old Testament and learn how you chose the nation of Israel to be a holy nation, to grow in holiness through the priesthood, the tabernacle, and then the temple, through their sacrifices and their faith in your promises of a Messiah, we are in awe of what the writer of Hebrews said, that you had planned something better for us, that the Holy Spirit would live inside us to teach us how to be holy. Our bodies are a temple to you, through which the Shekinah light of the Holy Spirit shines. You call each of us by name and are grooming us to become both priests and kings in the New Jerusalem. So now is the time for us to grow into that blessed role. Now we are living in a period of sanctification, the time between the moment we believed in Jesus and the moment of our death. Now is the time you are grooming us to become holy priests. So as we read your word daily and meditate on it, please give us the desire to live a holy life. Teach us how to become holy and attract others to you so that someday we will be ready to be glorified in your holy presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, good morning, La Jolla Community Church. How's everybody doing this morning? What? What? A, we got a little more energy this morning. It's Sunday morning. Who's happy to be at church? I'm happy to be at church, so I'm going to bring the energy this morning. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the director of student ministries here at La Jolla Community Church. I'm really excited because I get to go to camp next weekend. I'm looking at you, Lindsay. We're going to hang out. So the rest of you, sigh of relief. You don't have to deal with me next week. It's going to be wonderful because we're going to be off at camp. So excited for that. Well, welcome, welcome to our wonderful church. I would love to bring everybody's attention on your way in this morning. You should have received one of our amazing bulletins designed by Josh, our awesome graphic designer. If you didn't get one, please let me know. I'd be happy to give you one as I dart out of here in a minute. But for those of you that snagged one, we would love if you just take it, if you notice, fold it right in half. That top half comes off. It says welcome. We've even got on the back our little fun Sunday schedule. I don't know about you guys, but I have been having a blast with our conversations. So if you know somebody that maybe has got some questions about church, questions about what we do here, conversations is the perfect opportunity to invite them, have a wonderful conversation about what it is we do here at church. So take this top half home, invite somebody to church, let them know we've got something wonderful, we've got something fun, we've got something loving and joyous that, that we would love to have them be a part of. So please take this top half home, invite somebody to church this Sunday. And then the bottom half is for us here at church. This first size get, says, get connected with us. This is our connection card here at La Jolla Community Church. If this is your first Sunday, or maybe it's your thousandth Sunday, but you want to get involved in some wonderful things going on here at church, please take a moment, fill this out, let us know how we can get you plugged in and connected here at La Jolla Community Church. And on the other side is our prayer card. It says, let us pray for you. Every single week, we have a team of prayer warriors that goes over every single prayer request that gets turned in on Sunday. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe in lifting our needs and our desires to the feet of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you guys. I had a little bit of a rough week this week. I'm going to be turning in one of these prayer cards because I need some extra love this week. So if you've got something going on in your life, you've got a little difficulty or maybe even a praise report where you're just like, I need to let God know how much I am so thankful. Please, please, please take a moment, fill out one of these prayer cards. We would love to join you in praying for you and your family. Uh, along with this prayer card, there is an offering envelope in the seat back in front of you. You can drop all of that off on your way out. There are boxes uh, in the foyer on your way out. Well, thank you again so much for joining us on our wonderful Sunday morning, and I would love to invite Pastor Steve up to lead us in a message. Thank you, Ryan. Okay, well, how are you enjoying our sojourn in Israel? Uh, we're hanging out in Israel. Maybe you don't realize that. We, we, um, we, we've, we're on this journey uh, through Genesis, Exodus, today in Leviticus. So if we were in Israel together, we'd start the day by saying good morning, so we'd say a Boker Tov. Can you say that? Boker Tov. So now you're all locals, and uh, we're, we're ready for the day. We're going to have breakfast, and so we're going to walk out, <clears throat> and uh, we realize there's really not a lot of food out here in, in the desert. We're not quite in Israel, but we're on our way, and, and somebody picks up something, and they hold it up, and somebody says, ma, what? Mana, what is it? And they go, hey, that sounds good. Let's call it mana. 
And so here we are in Leviticus. The people are gathered under Mount Sinai for about a year, actually more like 400 days. And we're going to take a deep dive in with them uh, today and, and at least get a sense of what was going on in this book called Leviticus. Um, Leviticus is often the, the desert Bible readers die in. If you've tried to read through the Bible, you've, you've worked your way through Genesis and Exodus, and you get to Leviticus, and it's five offerings and all the details associated with those offerings. It's seven festivals and, and the details about those festivals, and there's law after law after law for the people, for the way they order their lives with God, with one another, about what the priest is supposed to do, because Leviticus is of the Levites. That's where we get the name, Leviticus of the Levites. Uh, that, that's not necessarily the Jewish name of the book, but that's, that's the name we've given to the book. And it continues, like Exodus does from Genesis with and, or now. Genesis goes into Exodus by saying, and now. And so likewise, from Exodus to Leviticus, and now, here's what we're going to talk about. So, wow, it's a holiness code, uh, which is code for an impossible code. The energy it would take to maintain this code, this holiness code given by God to Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai over 400 days. And he provides water, he provides food, this manna, we call it, but literally, manna, what is it? Uh, And the people are trying to understand what it looks like to be in the presence of God and relate to him. And this is where often uh, non-Jewish readers of the Bible die in this desert. They say, you know what? Uh, I knew I wasn't made for reading the Bible. And so they just check out. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Or you've just said, you know, this is the flyover part of the Bible. It's pretty much, you know, uh, we offend everybody in the middle part of America by saying, well, I know there's states out there somewhere, but somewhere after California, it sort of gets dim and then it drops off completely. And uh, then it picks up again somewhere, let's say, New York. You know, and we miss a big chunk of what's going on in the country. And if you've ever done a really fun experience like driving or taking a train across the country, you think, what an amazing country it is. You can walk the entire beginning history of the United States in 30 minutes on the Freedom Trail in Boston, right? And then go have Italian food on Hanover Street. But you start driving across the country, you think, this takes days and days and days. And uh, Israel discovered that they were on this walk with God that really shouldn't have taken more than a month. And they're gonna, they spent a year at Mount Sinai, and they're going to spend 40 years on the way to reaching a place that is maybe 40 miles away. So um, it's a holiness code given by God to Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. And we just sort of poop out there as readers. We say, I don't, I don't know if I can keep up with this. And then we miss so much. Because if we don't get what's in Leviticus you'll not get the rest of the Bible. That's a shocking thought. And so uh, the people found out that there are serious consequences for not abiding the rituals and the rules that God lays out to them in Leviticus. And likewise for us, there are serious consequences if we don't take the time to pause and say, I have no idea what's going on here, but apparently it's in God's Word for a reason. And that reason is to instruct me, to make me wise, to give me a a perspective on everything uh, to follow. So are are you with me on that so far? So um, if you are reading through the Bible, and I hope you are this year, if you haven't started reading through the Bible this year, start today. Uh, But there's so many great ways to read through the Bible. Uh, Pick one. We gave you a a bookmark. If you didn't get one of those bookmarks, pick one up on the table before you leave. A journal. Uh, you can purchase for five bucks and, and start making some notes as you read your way through the Bible. Uh, there are no excuses for not reading through the Bible. There's just none, uh, except for inattention and, uh, well, let's say it, laziness. It's lazy. We just think there's more important things than understanding what God wants us to know about us. And so the law was initiated by God to bless his people to thrive and flourish. We no longer live under that law, but if we don't don't understand that law, we don't understand what God did to fulfill it. Because Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it. Well, if he thought it was important enough to come to fulfill, why wouldn't we think it's important enough to understand it, to know what his 
purposes for fulfilling it we're all about. And so if you follow the plot of the Bible and you discover, uh, you will discover that the Bible is about you and what you already know. Now you might say, well, no, really, somebody once said that the Bible isn't about me. Well, it's not about you per se, but it includes you. And as you read the Bible, you'll think, this is my story. These people are like me, different names, different places, different language, different clothing, but they're like me. The stuff they do is like what I do. I would never accuse any of you of lying, but have you ever massaged the truth in a situation that would have been awkward not to? You probably would say, I've never lied like Abraham. Right, you, you never said, this is my sister, not my wife. But like Abraham, we have fudged the truth. We, we use terms like that, fudging the truth. It sounds like dessert. You will read your story and you'll say, this is about me. It's not about me as if I'm the hero of it, but it's about me because I am the recipient of it. And, and it tells you what you know is true. Because you know in your heart that life must have meaning and purpose. You just know that. But what is the meaning and purpose? Uh, so some of us hide behind intellectual things. Everything is an interesting idea. We read books, but we don't digest books. Uh, we're interested in learning. We're curious about the world. Other people uh, spend their time in making things, messing with things, fixing things, refixing things, uh, pursuing all kinds of interesting things. We do so many interesting things uh, to keep ourselves busy so that we don't, at the end of the day or in a quiet moment, have to think about, well, what is the meaning and purpose of all this? And the problem is we miss our life. You know, C.S. Lewis, uh, as, a, as a small boy, uh, lost his mom. His mom died. And then as a grown man, he gets married late in life, and he has a, a stepson who is the same age he was when his mom died. And then this kid's mom dies. This kid is married, the son of C.S. Lewis's wife. They were married for four years. And so here's C.S. Lewis with this small boy. And C.S. Lewis uh, uh, wrote in, in um, Surprised by Joy, he said, you know, really as a boy, I, I, played it, I, I played it safe. I just wanted to be safe. So he shut himself down. And now weeping with this boy over the, the death of the kid's mother and his wife, he says, you know, as a man, um, I will suffer. As a boy, I chose to be safe. As a man, I will choose to suffer. Which is better? Well, none of us like to suffer. But you know, if, you don't, if you're not willing to suffer, you don't grow. Because you never let yourself to feel deeply about anything. I'm not talking about being emotional. Some people are emotional for any reason. And after a while, it becomes tedious and trivial. Everything is an event. They're on, air is always on fire. But to feel deeply is to connect you uh, to life itself and your meaning and purpose in life. It connects you to the heart of God. And so as we read the Bible, as we engage in it, it allows us, it coaxes out of us an openness to feeling deeply so that we can manage our emotions. And most importantly, we understand what emotions are for. That we're made in the image of God to feel deeply, to express ourselves, to be caught up in the mystery of what God has done and what God is doing. Uh, to be caught up in the adventure, to have that God-given curiosity to make things, to explore things, to think things, to have conversations that actually go somewhere, to have a life that actually has meaning at the end of every day, at the end of every week. You say, I, this is why I do what I do. Well, it looks so trivial. You're just playing with small children. Yeah, yeah. What I'm doing here is I'm investing in them and letting them know that they matter. Yeah, but you work, you do that, you have that funky retail job. What, that's a waste of your life. You don't understand. I get to serve people every day, and I get to listen in on people's lives, and I get to engage with them. Well, you do the same old thing every day. You write those business contracts that are for people who don't need more money. Right, right, right. But it's a living drama that I'm, you get where I'm going on all this? You take any sphere of human life, and it moves from trivial and superficial to deep and interesting when you have what God wants you to have inside of you. Are you with me on that? Therefore, do not die in the desert called Leviticus or in any other small desert you encounter in the Word of God. Oh, this is dumb. Why am I reading the genealogy? Oh my gosh. If you don't read the genealogies, you miss big time. You get to Matthew and Luke and you're going, oh, more names. Who needs them? You need them. 
If you don't read that genealogy, you miss out on some of the major drama in the Bible. So this is where we're going in this series, because we know in our heart of hearts that life has meaning and purpose, but what is it? And so God instructs His people how to live in His presence. It's all for their benefit. The Bible is for your benefit. And if you don't know that, you've left some of the major resources of life unaddressed, unopened, unattended. And therefore, you're not prepared. You can be very sophisticated, very knowledgeable, very connected, but you don't have what you really need. And this is what God was teaching Israel. For those 400 days at the foot of Mount Sinai, feeding them what is it, <laughs> providing water for them, supplementing the other food that they had, they had access to, and bringing these people together from a bunch of former slaves who were living on the fumes of a promise made by God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we call them the patriarchs, brought to a very interesting turning point, a point of flexion with Joseph, and the tribes are then reviewed again at the end of, of, of Genesis. And now we get into Exodus, a bunch of former slaves are saying, this is horrible, this is a very bad idea. But God forms these slaves, these malcontents, these people who are angry at something and someone all the time. They're constantly blaming somebody else. Ah, Pharaoh would just do it differently if this would just, was just different. And all of a sudden now it's just them. And they're going, I don't like this, but you're in charge. Right. I still don't like this. And it was murmuring and complaining and backbiting. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Some people call it marriage. Some people call it family. Some people call it my job. And so this is where God brings us to instruct us, to instruct us in how to live in his presence. It's for our benefit. And he uses these funky places and names and people and situations to tell us our story. And so Leviticus answers the questions, why are you telling me this, Lord? Why does this matter, Lord? Because in a heart of hearts, we might not actually articulate those questions, but those are the questions we, every person bears. Even an atheist would say, they don't want to say Lord, but they want to say, why? Why? What is it? Why does it matter? What's it for? Ah, I'll numb myself with pleasure. Ah, I'll numb myself with pain. I'll numb myself with wealth. No, I'll numb myself with poverty. It goes all over the map. And so here's the answer to the question, why are you telling me this? Why does it matter? Leviticus 11.44, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, that is, present yourselves, set yourself apart, commit yourselves, and be holy because I am holy. And we're going to unpack this notion of holiness. And then in Leviticus 20.26, God says, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. And I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. I love the way the psalmist says it more lyrically, but comes at it uh, really from the same perspective. Uh, talking on behalf, uh, talking to God. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. Imagine you're leaving slavery in Egypt on the way to this promised land, and you've never been outside of Egypt. You've never been outside of the place where you've done your work as a slave. And you're thinking, how do I get there? What's the path there? Who's going to help me fulfill and, and attain that promise from God? All these great things that we say, you know, Jesus came to give you life in all its fullness. And you've heard that and you think, yeah, but how do I know? How do I get there? What's the pathway? So the psalmist says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Does that not sound attractive? With eternal pleasures at your right hand? The right hand represents the hand of power and favor and blessing. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Whoa, the desires of my heart? Yeah, he'll shape those desires so that the desires that actually will help you, not hurt you. Because sometimes, our, as you know, our desires would tank us if we really got access to them. So let's talk about holiness. Holiness is the truest source of happiness. Holiness is the truest source of happiness. Uh, we've made this really bad bifurcation 
in, in, in some of the Western theology. And that is that it's, it's happy or holy. Holy is way better than happy. And in a sense, in a limited sense, in the right context, it's absolutely true. Uh, most people, most adults, most parents want their kids to be happy at the expense of helping them learn to be holy. You want to ruin your kid's life, spend all your time trying to make them happy. You want to bless your children, teach them how to be holy. Now, taken out of context, that sounds like a punishment plan for every kid. Hey, let's have a Sabbath, and you can't do anything all day. And if you do, you'll be punished. Wow, the kid's thinking, who would come up with this idea? Make the Sabbath holy, and so I'm miserable all day. What kind of God is this? As soon as I'm old enough and big enough, I'm out of here. I will never do this to my kids. You've just taken out of context holiness, and you've ruined the Sabbath concept. What if every kid grew up saying, I love the Sabbath day. My Sabbath day is my happy place in the week because my family's together, we're eating, we're laughing, we're, we're enjoying each other, we're running around, we're going on hikes, we're playing games, we're having so much fun. The day goes by in 10 seconds. It's like, it's like a holiday every week in my family at Sabbath. And other kids come over and go, man, I wish my family was doing what you guys do on Sabbath. Right? All of a sudden, would you think a kid would grow up and say, I can't wait to introduce my kids to the Sabbath and to keep it holy. So we have come up with this crazy idea that, well, no, um, happiness, fine, maybe if you have to, but holiness is the big call. And missing the point that they're so integrated that the words in Hebrew uh, cannot be understood properly contextually, thoughtfully and fully without understanding that happiness is at the heart of it. So Kodesh, there's a different version of the same word, Kadosh, Kodesh. Here it's, it's Kadosh, but the word Kodesh, holiness, to be set apart. Uh, words like Asher, the name Asher, uh, the, the name Joy, Simcha. All these clusters of words that come out of the, this holiness concept are about being full of life and happy. Um, um, uh, Baruch, you know, uh, blessed be, Baruch Adonai, you know. It's about blessing, blessed are you. It's not an overstatement to say of, of, of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, blessed are you if, blessed are you when. To say, happy are you when, happy are you if. Now you can trivialize happiness, right? But happiness in its proper context is always sourced and rooted in holiness. You take happiness out of holiness, you ruin happiness I can't wait to be happy. I'm going to get just roaring drunk. I'm going to do immoral things. I'm going to lose my way. I'm going to alienate myself from people. I'm going to do all kinds of things to imperil my life and my reputation. It's going to be awesome. You think, really? That sounds like happiness to you? I don't think so. It sounds like a self-inflicted form of punishment. It sounds like self-abuse. Your happiest day as a heroin addict is your first day. It's not so happy and wonderful after that. So God is blessing Israel in order to bless all nations, as in fruit of the Spirit, happy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. This, there's no law against these things, right? So this is what we're talking about when we talk about happy, this fullness of life, this life that is continually coming together in integrity and allows us to be whole people, dealing with the complexities and nuances of life, and yet having some very clear values and standards and commitments. Now, in our culture, um, happy sounds fun and enjoyable. Holy sounds deadly dull, right? And so we as the people of God, uh, just by being us in Christ, get to change that perception. I mean, in our culture, if somebody said, hey, I'm hosting a party of really hope, uh, I'm hosting a party of really holy people, I'd like you to be there. You'd be thinking, oh, look at that, I'm going to be in Iraq. I'm so sorry, I'm not going to... I've got a Somalia date. I won't be in the, at the, able to go to the party. Uh, hey, join our college fraternity. We're known for our holiness. That goes really big over at USC. The holiness sorority. No dates. Don't miss the shocking new series, The Real Holy Housewives of Orange County. It just doesn't make sense, right? Because we want something that's absolutely, or, we say it's edgy and creative. We just really actually should call it what it is. It's immoral. It's perverse. It's dysfunctional. Would you want to be married to that woman, to that guy? Do you want to be in that family? Do you want to be in that drama? No, of course not. 
But the simplest definition of holiness is reverence for God and reverence for people. You treat people with a holy manner, you're, you're revering them as made in God's image. You're treating God with reverence, you're revering him as God. And that's what Leviticus is about. And in that reverence of God and people, here's five offerings. In that reverence of God and people, here's seven feasts and celebrations throughout the year. In that reverence for God, here's how spiritual leaders should conduct themselves. Here's how people in the marketplace should conduct themselves. Here's how people in intimate relationships should behave and think. A woman or a man should feel loved and cherished in a relationship, not used and abused. So holiness is relational, and that's why it's behavioral. It's who we are, and therefore it's what we do. So when people say, well, holiness is just about keeping rules and rituals. No, holiness is being alive and expressed in these rituals, expressed in these rules. Yeah, we have a really severe standard in our family. We speak kindly to one another. Oh, oh, tell me it's not true. Yeah, and we speak the truth in love. We consider conflict a pathway to deep relationship and reconciliation. We consider repentance a form of integrity and strength. We, can, we consider confession a way of staying right with God, right with myself, and right with people. All of a sudden you start going, whoa, holiness is essential for living really well. Holiness is, therefore holiness does. Holiness powerfully integrates high regard for God and people, respect, love, deep connection. It's the ultimate value proposition. You've heard me say before, if somebody said, hey, you should hire this person for that important role because they're really emotional, you go, oh, no way, I can't, we can't afford that. But if you said to them, somebody said to you, hey, this is the, I've been looking at the job description, you've got to hire this person, man. They, have, they are a person of deep feeling. You'd say, wow, really, deep feeling. What do you mean? Compassion, joy, you know. So likewise, holiness. If somebody said, hey, um, I want to introduce you, and I've done this with friends. I'll say, oh, I've met a girl you've got to meet to my single friends. She, first of all, let me just say, she is holy. And they, all, they always start laughing. They just start laughing like, okay, what else? You know. But when they start to think about it, they go, oh, what do you mean? What do you mean holy? I mean, she's got the fruit of the Spirit in her. She brings it. She walks in the room and just lights up because she doesn't have to say anything. She just is, you can see her focusing on people and caring about people. She actually listens to people. She's kind of self, self unconscious about how she's coming across, but she, she looks well put together. She's just as pleasant to be with, et cetera, et cetera. And you talk about a guy like that. Hey, this guy is my favorite guy on our NFL football team. He's the holiest guy on the team. You know, people used to say that about uh, football players like Rosie Greer. An uh, ancient Rams football player, you know, now 90 years old. But the guy was like this epic dude. And he had so much high regard in his account because he was this indomitable player in the NFL. But he was unapologetic about saying, yeah, here's the only thing that makes my life make sense. I belong to a holy God. So it's the ultimate value proposition because God gives unconditional love and makes life better. He brings out the best in you as you turn to Him in faith and trust. He says He's with you. His holiness is leading you and guiding you, correcting you, encouraging you, strengthening you, inspiring you, helping you become wise and mature, helping you be courageous at the right time, humble at the right time, bold at the right time. And so in Exodus, God shows Moses and us his holiness is good, beautiful, and true. So let me just tell you this. We're gonna, I'm going to take a pause here and, and take you into Exodus so that you can understand Leviticus. You cannot understand, in my opinion, you cannot understand Leviticus and the holiness code without understanding this passage we're going to jump into in Exodus. Because holiness is ultimately about something that is good and beautiful and true. Now, Plato ripped that idea off. You know, the good, the beautiful, the true, that's platonic thinking. I'm sorry, that was, he was late to that party. This is biblical thinking, good, beautiful, true. Moses said to the Lord, <clears throat> and remember, see this, this capitalized L-O-R-D, this is the holy name of God, the four letters, um, Yod, He, 
Vav, Ha, Yehovah, we'd say Jehovah, uh, Yahweh. Uh, it was never spoken out loud, as you know. It's the holy name of God. It was, if they were reading it, if you're reading it to this day, you'd substitute Adonai instead of this. But this is the name. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. Well, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways. So I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. As if God had forgotten. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you. And I know you by name. This is the voice of holiness speaking. I am pleased with you. When Abraham trusted God, he said, I'm pleased with you. When you turn to the Lord at any time, day or night, if you could hear him, he would be saying, I'm pleased with you. <sighs> then Moses said, now show me your glory. Wow, it's a big holy moment. And God acquiesces to that, accedes to that, agrees to that. And here's what he says. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Let that sink in. Start making that mental connection. Whenever you hear the word holiness, you think immediately of God's goodness. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. It's the goodness of God that gives substance to His holiness. This is so unique. And you'll hear so many people lie out of every uh, corner of their eyes and face telling you that every God ever um, represented in the Middle East is the same God. Oh yeah, read the Gilgamesh epic, read this, read that. It's all the same. You go, that is so much uh, bad uh, um, thinking because it just smooths everything over. If you go, I mean, I hate to offend anybody here who's an art aficionado of contemporary art, but I have, having toured with the director of the La Jolla Contemporary Art Museum, that place on a number of occasions, you walk through that stuff and you go, this is like a bad garage sale. 500 foot yellow hose, oh my gosh, it's genius. Until then you go to Italy or some other place when you go, oh, the David, now that is art, Right? So when you're talking about what is beautiful, good, and true, you're talking about something that inherently is attractive. You go, oh my gosh, that just pulls life and chaos together into something beautiful and creative. Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, yeah, I'll show you my goodness. It'll pass right in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. That's true. See, he's beautiful and good and true. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. This is the power of God's holiness. That good and beautiful true God is so powerful that he's so different from us. I remember the name of the Lord. Uh, I am who I am, right? He who was and is and will be. I am separate from you. I am separate from you but I'll make it possible for you to be in relationship with me. So there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you on a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face not, must not be seen. And then following this, Moses, God gives Moses the law a second time and makes a covenant, a, an agreement, a relationship. And then he commands the people to create the tabernacle, this portable, amazing, movable meeting place of worship whose structure symbolizes God's holiness where, where earth and heaven unite. It's heaven on earth. And so you see the beauty of God and, and the description from, from starting in Exodus 33 through 34, 35, 36, and the description of all the artisans, all the craftspeople, men and women, who are brought together 
to, do, to put this beautiful place, this powerful place together where God himself would be present and fill it with his glory. The holiness of God would be among them. And people responded so enthusiastically to this that the artisans, the, the two guys that were actually in charge of the whole operation, said, whoa, 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 no more gold, no more silver, no more beautiful fabrics, no more, we're, we're, we've got enough. We've got too much. We are praying for this in our church. One, that we'd have a parking problem. Ah, oh, mom, we've got the lots full. Uh, but the people at Irvine Company said we can park up at their place. I actually just grabbed a shuttle, I mean, the trolley, and come in that way. Or people, people, stop sending us money, please. It's overwhelming us. Uh, we, we've got all we need. Just start sending it to these places. Let's figure out who needs it. We'll send it there. Oh my gosh, all these people that want to help with Connie's event last, last Friday night. We have way too many. We'll put you on the short list, the waiting list. And then you can work on the next event. Dave Mason is going to be building houses in Mexico. We have way too many people, but we'll do one every weekend, okay? That's what we need to do. You see where this goes? This is what people were doing in response to God's goodness and beauty and truth. They were responding in ways that were so generous, so alive, so engaged. They were doing their most creative work. They were making their highest and best contribution. Do you see what holiness does to people? Do you see what we have done with holiness? We've made it this pallid, bad imitation of what real holiness is. We have turned holiness into a joke, something to avoid, something you wouldn't do to anybody. You, I'd rather go to traffic school than, than anything you're going to do about holiness. And we would entirely miss the point. This is the catastrophe that our culture is in. This is the catastrophe that the church is in. We've lost sight of holiness. And we want to dress it up and act like we're going to do it. We just tell people, don't do this and don't do that. And we put these superficial rules together that are well-intended but are so ineffective because they have nothing to do with changing a person's heart. And some, some of you grew up in families like that. We don't go to movies, you don't dance. We don't do this, we don't do that. We're really good at gossip and judging and closing our mind to important ideas, but we would never, ever do these things. And you go, oh, really? God is shaping them into a holy nation, making the desert bloom with their righteousness. What he wants is to create a people that he's not saying, pretend you're perfect. He's saying, how about just be alive in me? And then you're going to go into a, 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 a new land, and you're going to influence all the nations on earth. And they're all going to say, whatever it is that you guys got, we want. And you're going to tell them, well, you don't have to be Jewish to have this. You just have to be alive in the Lord. Here's how. But Israel uh, will wrestle with sin throughout her history, as we do in ours. And of course, sin makes life feel like a burden, not a blessing. But God's holiness restores the blessing in spite of our sin. And that's what he's showing them. These rituals, these rules, are meant to do what ultimately will be fulfilled through his spirit. That the rules will no longer be written on stone, they'll be written on hearts. The rituals won't be things you have to go do at a temple, they're things you're going to get to do in practical ways, functionally, in your everyday life. A thousand years later, because this is like 1450 or something like that, B.C. A thousand years later, 592 B.C., God is still reminding Israel of his blessings for them. Through the prophet Ezekiel, he says this. Son of man, he says to Ezekiel, to the Israelites, this is what you're saying. Our offenses and sins weigh us down, and we're wasting away because of them. How then can we live? They're staying in the context of Babylonian captivity, being carried from Israel to Iraq as, as chattel. And God says, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord. Again, the holy name of God invoked here. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. These people already had all the stuff that the people we read about in Leviticus had, but they turned their back on it. And they turned toward false gods and injustice and immorality. And they became wise in their own eyes. And they did what was right in their own eyes. It was a big mess. They created their own catastrophe. And through Ezekiel, 
the message goes out, just turn. I'm not, I don't get any joy out of this Babylonian captivity I'm sending you into. I don't get any joy out of the horrible consequences of sin. Why is sin such a big deal with God? Because we're such a big deal to Him. Let that resonate with you. The reason sin is a big deal to God is because you are a big deal to God. It's not some concept, some abstraction called sin. It's the way it devastates His beloved creation. Sin defaces the image of God in us and distorts our truest identity. Sin robs us of life and joy, distracting us and discouraging us that we could ever change. Sin promises to meet needs and aspirations that only God can fulfill in us. Sin offends God and hardens us to His truth, hardens us to His righteousness, hardens us to justice, and hardens us to love. Sin defrauds God of respect and enslaves people because they start respecting the wrong authorities, the false gods, the idols of their own making. Sin opposes God by assuming greater wisdom, greater righteousness, greater compassion. I don't need the Bible. I'm compassionate and wise and wonderful enough. Sin seeks to usurp the authority of God and therefore undermine His power to save us, not by taking anything away from His power, but by convincing us that His power in us is ineffective. It's a waste of time. It's a fool's errand. But in Christ, God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And this is what Leviticus is setting us up for. That's why I say if you don't understand Leviticus and and Numbers and Deuteronomy and the rest of the Bible, you don't have a full enough context to understand how wonderful Jesus is. How essential Jesus is. So Leviticus foreshadows Jesus' mission. Jesus is the perfect priest. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the perfect point of celebration, feasting. The rules and rituals are fulfilled in relationship with Him and one another in Him. I love the way the writer of Hebrews says it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place in that tabernacle and then in the temple, and which, of course, doesn't exist anymore, There's no more tabernacle. There's no more temple. Where do you go? I asked a a guy, one of the most articulate uh, 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 Jewish people I know. This guy knows the Bible better than most pastors. I I guarantee you, if you and I are with him, first of all, his charming British accent, but he's lived in in Israel for the last 40 years, and the guy is so articulate theologically about the Old and New Testament. Whenever I'm with him, I'll say, you know, seriously, I know you're a pastor somewhere, somewhere, somewhere. He'll laugh and go, no, that's what every pastor says to me. I said, you are so righteous. You're such a great uh, person to, to, to um, help people understand what God did in Israel. And he said, yeah, but I'm not. Uh, I'm a Jew. And I said, so what do you do without the temple? And we, we, we were close enough and, and knew each other well enough that that wasn't an offense to him. He just said, that's a great question. That's the only question that matters. I said, so then, yeah, so how do you answer it? I would say it's fulfilled in Christ. And from all you know, you see how that could be. He said, yeah, but I don't accept it. I said, so then what, what, what are you left with? He said, I just have to be a good person. I said, so that's how Israel, so to speak, Israel, there's a zillion Israels in the sense of ideas about Israel. But I said, so that's the theology in the way that you've resolved it. He said, yeah. The rabbis would say, it's enough that we practice righteousness. Mitzvot. There's 613 commandments. That's mitzvot, plural of mitzvah. Mitzvah is a good thing, thing, a good thing to do, because the commandment tells us a good thing to do. In the Ten Commandments, one to four is the good thing to do relating to God, and and, uh, in the Ten Commandments, five to ten are the good things relating to people. So he says, I just have to do what's good. And I said, then how does that count? Because for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us fall short of that glory. And he goes, for now. Do you see what this is? The modern conversation about Leviticus is a fresh conversation. It's not old news. And so the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open to us through the curtain, that is his body, 
And since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. This is the message of Leviticus written into the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. And you don't even understand the symbolism in this and the imagery in this passage unless you know what is going on in Leviticus. So how many Christians have skipped over Hebrews for the same reason they skip over Leviticus? It's a small desert to die in in the New Testament. I love the way John, Jesus' apostle, said it in 1 John 1, 8-9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see the tie-in here? You see that that only makes sense because of Leviticus? It only has stickiness and traction because of Leviticus? So as it turns out, Leviticus isn't a place to die. It's a life-giving oasis. I won't talk about it, but I'll, I'll, I'll invite you to Google Havasupai, H-A-V-A-S-U-P-A-I, Havasupai. You start walking in the desert toward the Grand Canyon for several hours, and all of a sudden you, you amble down into this first canyon before you get to the proper Grand Canyon, and one of the most beautiful places on the planet is sitting there, and you think, this has got to be heaven. Havasupai, mind-boggling. If somebody drops you off in the desert outside of La Paz, northern Baja, and you start walking, uh, or in Las Cruces, a little tiny nub of a place by La Paz, and you start walking through the desert, and if you walk for a couple hours, you see a drop of water and a little puddle of water, a little trickle of water, and you keep following that, and you'll find seven of the most beautiful pools you've ever seen. Water in the desert. Leviticus isn't a place to die, it's a life-giving oasis. Uh, our son-in-law uh, is going to school in Great Britain, and in the school that he's in, uh, there's a picture on the wall of a guy named Lawrence of Arabia who went to this college, Jesus College at Oxford. When I think of Lawrence of Arabia, I always immediately think of that great movie, Lawrence of Arabia. And I think of that great line in the movie where he's talking to the sheikh, the Bedouin sheikh, who's been helping him and is kind of a player in the, in the region. And, and Lawrence of Arabia accuses the guy of becoming rich on all the conflict around. He goes, rich? And he gets in this tirade. Anthony Quinn does this brilliant thing when he says, and he goes about, he talks about all, all the wealth. And he said, yet I am poor. Why? Because I am a river to my people. And the, the tribe goes crazy because they know that he's, he's done all these amazing things only to bless the people with it. He's given it all away. I am a river to my people. That's saying something in the desert. You are a river to your friends. I hope it can be said of you. He was a river to his friends. She was a river to her friends. Because as you grow in a relationship with Christ, you will also become an oasis of holiness in a dry and deadly place. Think about that. You are the oasis that God is leading people to on behalf of his kingdom. You are that place of refreshment. So Lord Jesus, I pray as you refresh us through your word, through your Holy Spirit, through the company of your people, through the promise of your abiding presence, we pray that you can use us to glorify you and to reveal your goodness. You can make us holy in a way that would be transformational for us and attractive to others. We pray that in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. Well, this is a time of offering. Um, give, I, I say this every week. You know, we used to take an offering, um, but people give in so many ways. So if you brought an offering, you can put it in that box. And, uh, there's all kinds of ways to contribute to this church, and we need them and appreciate them for sure. Uh, by God's grace and your creativity and generosity, we finished this year in the black, and that's a great gift. But this offering I'm talking about is you bringing you before the Lord. You, uh, in His presence during this time of, of worship, music, you bring you to Him. And whatever posture works, your hands open on your lap like this, 
uh, fall to your knees, sit in your chair quietly, stand up, whatever posture you want. Maybe a little bit of all of it. As we finish this time of formal worship, uh, prepare to go out uh, and do the work that God has equipped us to do. Let's do that right now. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. And all my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up till I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able oh I will sing of the goodness I love your voice It has led me through the fire In darkest nights You are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend And I have in the goodness of God And all my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good yeah. With every breath that I am able Oh, I of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, running after me. When my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything.
So as you feel the goodness of God pouring over you through those words and through that music and through the spirit in this room, through the word of God uh, in your heart and in your mind, uh, let, that, let that be your fixed point on the horizon as you make your way through this world. If we can pray for you about anything that concerns you or anybody that you care about and are concerned for, go right out around the, out, out, out that door around the corner to that lovely prayer garden and uh, Kathy uh, will be there to have a prayer with you. You don't even have to say what you want prayed for. She'll be willing to pray for you. If you want to tell her, that's great too. If there's anything we can do to help you take the first or the next step in your relationship with Christ, we want to do that. Uh, take, a, take a break in the patio uh, for 20 minutes or so. Uh, we have some music, a couple songs. Then we're going to do a thing called Conversations. We do that for 40, uh, about 40 minutes in this room. It's really fun. Uh, we break into small groups and we watch some uh, uh, brief content. Then we talk about it. It's really a neat way to, to get some of the underpinnings of God's Word in place so you can make sense of it as you read it this year. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's uh, face shine on you that you might reflect His glory wherever you go, whatever you do. May God give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with Him both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.